eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread also which I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Then the Jews began to argue with one another, saying, How can this man give us his flesh to eat? So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in yourself. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food, and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me, and I in him. As the living Father sent me, and I live because of the Father, so he who eats me, he also will live because of me. This is the bread which came down out of heaven, not as the fathers ate and died. He who eats this bread will live forever. This is the gospel of our Lord. Well, over the last several weeks, we have heard quite a bit from the story of David in the books of First and Second Samuel. Remember weeks ago we heard about how David was first anointed to be king by Samuel, and then later on, of course, he challenges Goliath and defeats the giant in battle because the Lord was with him and he trusted in the Lord. And We went on to hear about some of the not-so-positive things that David did in his reign as well over the last few weeks, his sin with Bathsheba and the murder of Uriah, and then how Nathan the prophet came and confronted him. And, and last week we saw how David's family began to fall apart because of the sin that he had committed, the example that he had set for his children, and how they imitated him and what he had done. Well, this morning as we come to our sermon text, which is in 1 Kings chapter 3, if you'd like to turn there, as we come to our sermon text this morning, we've come to the end of the story of David himself. With the beginning of 1 Kings, David reigns, David's reign as king comes to an end. And now his son Solomon, the son of Bathsheba, is reigning as king as we come to 1 Kings chapter 3. And we find out in this passage of scripture in the third chapter of 1 Kings that as Solomon is reigning, he's having a dream. And in this dream, God comes to him and says basically that he can ask whatever he wants of God. God says to him, you know, tell me whatever you want, and I'll, I'll do that for you. What is it that you want me to give to you? Now, I've got to be honest, maybe this is a little disrespectful of Scripture, I don't know, but as I come to this passage of Scripture, you know, it, it sounds a little bit like the story of Aladdin, you know, or the, the genie and the magic lamp, you know what I mean? Uh, that, you know, God comes to Solomon and says, basically, you know, you can ask for whatever you want. It's kind of like in the story when, uh, you know, Aladdin finds the magic lamp and rubs the lamp and the genie pops out, uh, which might be one of the most entertaining characters in any Disney movie ever, by the way. Uh, but the, the genie pops out, you know, he gets three wishes, except the only thing that he can't wish for is more wishes. 
And so uh, Solomon doesn't get three wishes. It seems that he just gets one, but it almost has this, you know, genie in a magic lamp kind of feel to it, that God is going to give him whatever it is that he asks for. And, you know, I mean, we kind of know how that usually goes, don't we? I mean, what are the things that are always asked for in those scenarios? Wealth, power, influence, long life or a happy life or... You know, I think in the case of Aladdin, he's trying to impress the girl. These are kind of the, the typical requests that are made. But it's interesting that that's not what Solomon asks for. You know, I, I think that's what any of us would ask for, right? I mean, let's be honest. I think, I think all of us have daydreamed at one point or another about what we would ask, what we would ask for if we had those three wishes, right? Anybody done that? All right, if you haven't done that, I know at least everyone has daydreamed about what they would do if they had a million dollars, right? I think everybody's hands up on that one, right? We've all thought about what we would do if we suddenly had a million dollars or, you know, if we won the lottery, you know, on a gifted lottery ticket, of course, because none of us would ever buy a lottery ticket, right? Uh, You know, if we won the lottery or if somehow we won a million dollars, I think we've all asked that question before. In fact... Uh, we went to Pizza Hut just a couple weeks ago, and they have these kind of questions to start conversations there. And one of them was, you know, what would you do if you had a million dollars? But, you know, Solomon doesn't ask for that. Solomon doesn't ask for a million dollars. He doesn't ask for, ask for a long or happy life. or He doesn't ask for the defeat of his enemies or the enemies of his kingdom or anything like that, or that he would reign as king for a long time. Solomon asked for wisdom. Solomon gets to ask God for whatever he wants. And he asks for wisdom. So then let me ask you another question. If, if we all have admitted that, you know, at some point we've daydreamed about what we would do with our three wishes or what we might do with a million dollars, how many of us have sat around and just really daydreamed about, man, what, what can I do if God would just make me a little more wise? What can I do with just a little more wisdom? It just doesn't have quite the same allure as a million bucks, does it? We don't tend to sit around and think about, man, I just really wish that God would make me wise. And you know, it's interesting as we come to this passage of Scripture to take note in the passage of exactly the kind of wisdom that Solomon asks for. You know, his asking for wisdom, in other words, isn't a kind of shortcut or, or a kind of roundabout way, rather, to finding something else. He doesn't ask for wisdom so that then he can go out and make a million bucks. He asks for wisdom specifically so that he might know the difference between good and evil, so that he might understand righteousness. You know, righteousness is kind of one of these religious words that we use. We see it in the Scripture a lot. And I think sometimes we toss it around and maybe we're not exactly sure really what it means. But in the Old Testament especially, righteousness has to do with justice. In other words, when Solomon asked for wisdom so that he might reign righteously, he's asking God for gifts to for God to give him wisdom 
so that he might judge adequately for his people, so that there might be justice and peace within his land. In fact, we hear a pretty good story right after this one, right after this passage of Scripture in the very same chapter that kind of exemplifies what it is that Solomon's asking for. We hear this remarkable story about how these two women who lived in the same house, they come to Solomon after God has granted this request of his wisdom. They come to Solomon, and each of these women that live in the same house, they each have a child, a son of their own. And the one woman comes to the king and complains to him, saying that she had a son and that this other woman had a son, and that during the night, this other woman's son died. And so that then during the night, that woman got up and switched her dead son with this woman's living son, so that she would think that her own child had died. And it turns out that at first it works. The woman's confused. She thinks that she's lost her son, but then in the light of morning, she realizes that the dead child isn't hers. And so she brings this complaint before the king, telling the king that, about what this woman has done. Well, of course, in days before DNA testing, you can imagine how difficult it would be for Solomon to figure out whose child this really was. But we find out that God's gift of wisdom to him works pretty well. Solomon orders one of his servants to bring a sword. And so the servant comes with a sword, and Solomon says, Cut the child in half. If these two women can't agree on whose child it is, then cut him in half, and each of them can have half of the child who is alive. Well, immediately, the one woman who had brought the complaint begins to protest and says, No, don't harm the child. Let him live. Even if I can't have him, let him live. But the other woman says, Divide him. He'll be neither mine nor you. Well, at that point in the story, it becomes pretty apparent who the child belongs to. And so Solomon gives the living child to the one who had wanted the child to stay alive at all costs. Her motherly instincts in protecting, protecting her own child had indicated to Solomon who the child really belonged to. And the text tells us there that all of Israel heard of the wisdom of Solomon, the ability that God had given him to reign with justice, to reign with discernment for righteousness. In other words, what Solomon had asked was that God would so fill him with wisdom that it was if, as if God's reign had come to Israel itself. Solomon wanted to be so filled with God's wisdom that it would be as if God were administering justice. That he would be that fair, that equitable, that just in his dealings with his people. And you know, it's funny because the text says that God is so pleased. He's so pleased that Solomon asked for that instead of for riches or honor or for the life of his enemies or anything like that that we would normally ask for if we had that genie in a magic lamp kind of scenario. God is so impressed that he asked for wisdom to discern justice that God gives Solomon all the things that he had never asked. He gives him the riches and the honor, the long reign as king, 
as long as Solomon continues to walk in the way of the Lord. As long as Solomon continues to be obedient to God's laws and God's statutes, then God says that he will give Solomon both the wisdom and everything that he had not asked. You know, it's interesting because this passage of Scripture really reminds me of something that Jesus says in the New Testament. In the book of Matthew, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is talking about people who worry about all those things that Solomon didn't ask. He talks about, you know, how people worry about what they're going to wear and and what they're going to eat and what they're going to drink. And Jesus says, don't worry about those things. He says, don't worry about where your food is going to come from or where your clothes are going to come from. He says, look at the birds. He says, they don't sow or reap or store away in barns. And yet, your heavenly Father feeds them. He says, look at the flowers of the field. They don't toil or labor. And yet, he says, not even Solomon in all of his splendor was clothed like a simple flower in a field. And so Jesus says, God's going to take care of you. Don't worry about all those other things. Instead, Jesus says, instead of seeking those other things, seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness. And he says, all those other things will be added to you as well. Jesus promises us that if we'll seek God's kingdom first, then the rest will be taken care of. And you know, in that way, Solomon is a model for us. A model of what it means to be followers of Jesus. Because, after all, he did exactly what Jesus said. He sought God's wisdom. He he sought God's wisdom so that God's kingdom and God's righteousness would come to Israel. He sought those things first. And so he's a model for us, telling us that if we will do those things, if we will seek first God's kingdom and God's righteousness, then it will be granted to us. Just as God's wisdom was granted to Solomon. And that all of these other things will be taken care of as well, but that most importantly, God can give us the gift of wisdom so that like Solomon, we can discern between good and evil so that we can live out God's very own righteousness here in our world. But you know, one thing that we learn from the story of Solomon is that it's not enough to just seek that wisdom, to seek that kingdom of God and that righteousness once long ago. It's not enough to just ask at one point that that happened, but then to not continue to seek it from that point on. Because see, in our story about Solomon, he begins pretty well. You know, if we were to stop reading the story of Solomon right here in this passage, we might expect it to have a happily ever after kind of thing. We might expect it to say, you know, that Solomon went on to reign righteously, to seek God's wisdom for all of his days, and that there was always peace and justice in 
the land of Israel. But unfortunately, as we read farther along in the story of Solomon, that's not exactly what we find. Instead, we find out that God had given Solomon the privilege of building a temple for God. This was a tremendous privilege, so tremendous, in fact, that his father, David, had asked to do it, but God told him no, that the next one who would sit on the throne would do it. So this was a tremendous privilege that Solomon was given to build the temple for Yahweh. And it should have been the most ambitious building project in all of Israel. But what we find out in the story is that after Solomon is finished building God's temple, he begins work on building his own palace. And we find out that Solomon's palace is much larger and much more extravagant than God's temple. And presumably Solomon used the same forced labor, the same conscripted labor to build his own house that he had used to build God's house. Not only that, but even after the temple was built, the text tells us that Solomon continued to sacrifice on what the Bible refers to as the high places. Now, we don't get a lot of details about what the high places were exactly, but it sounds as if they were hilltops where people could go to sacrifice to God other than Yahweh. And so even after Solomon had had this privilege of building a house for God, he didn't even utilize that house. He went and sacrificed to other gods on hilltops around Israel. And we find out, too, that Solomon had a tremendous number of wives. In fact, many of these wives he married explicitly for the sake of political alliances. Because, you know, if you marry uh, another king's daughter, then it's kind of hard to go to war with that other nation. And so he had married these women for the sake of political alliance, for building political allies, something that God had specifically commanded Israel to not do. And so after starting off so well, after Solomon had begun with such wisdom and such discernment, and seeking after God's kingdom before anything else. Slowly, he began to drift away. The text even tells us that he was led astray by all those wives that he had, that he began to worship foreign gods, that he began to turn his back on the very God who had made him king of Israel. And you know, I, I think that's kind of, an, kind of an interesting thing. Because, you know, I would think that if God made Solomon wise, then he would just be wise. Wouldn't you? I mean, if, if God gave Solomon the gift of wisdom, then you would think he wouldn't do these really unwise, unrighteous things. But I think that's part of what we're to learn from this story. Is that just because Solomon asked for God's wisdom once. Just because he started off seeking God's kingdom and God's righteousness, that wasn't enough. Instead, it was something that he had to do continually. I mean, to be sure, God's gift to Solomon was real. 
God really did give Solomon wisdom, and he really gives us gifts and graces for ministry as well. I believe that God really does do something in us to transform us, to shape us and mold us to be his faithful disciples, to be his people. But you know what? As much as God can transform us, it's not magical. It's not automatic. It turns out that it's really not like a genie in a magic lamp. It's not that we can just rub our hands together in prayer and and that God will pop up and will say, Hey, God, would you make me righteous? Would you make me just like your son Jesus? And then he does it, and that's the end of the story. That's just not how this Christian life works. Instead, Jesus says there in the Sermon on the Mount that we have to seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness. That it's something that we have to do all the time. We don't just seek it once. We have to seek it every single day. To have made one trip to the altar or or to have said one prayer, to have one spiritual experience at some point in our lives is not enough. We have to commit over and over and over again. It is a continual thing that we must continually strive to seek God in our lives. Now, I do want to be clear that it's, it's not something that we do on our own. It's not that we're making ourselves righteous by any or making ourselves wise. It is certainly all by God's grace that we could have no hope of being righteous or wise were it not for God's work in our lives. But we have to cooperate with that grace. We have to seek that grace. It's not going to just head us over the head when we're not looking. And it's not going to stick with us just because we made a decision one time. We have to make that decision again and again. That today, I am going to seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness. We see that even in the passage of Scripture in 1 Kings. Because even after God had said that He would give Solomon this wisdom, He followed it up with an if. He said, I'll give you that wisdom, and I will give you all these things that you didn't ask as well, if you continue to walk in my way, if you continue to be obedient to my law, my statutes, and my order. And that if is important, because it reminds us that if we are to be God's people, then we must be continually seeking God's righteousness. God's kingdom to come alive in our lives. Lance mentioned in the announcements this morning that in just a few weeks we're going to be beginning a study, a small group study that I hope that all of you will seriously consider participating called the Kingdom Experiment. It's a, a sort of Bible study based on the Beatitudes which comes from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount as well. But This study is so much more than just another Bible study. As 
important as studying Scripture is, I mean, I think that all of you know that Scripture is extremely important. But as important as it is, there has to come a point where we stop talking about it and start living it. That just studying it and just talking about it and just understanding it is not enough. In fact, I think one of the things that we see in this passage in 1 Kings this morning is that the understanding that God gives us, the wisdom that God gives us, is not just so that we can be wise for ourselves, but so that we can live in the way that God calls us. This study that we're going to participate in this fall, it's going to last nine, last nine weeks long. It's going to start in the beginning of September and go to the middle of November. This small group study is going to challenge us to do just that. We're going to talk about the Beatitudes. We're going to spend time in prayer together. We're going to discuss what we think it is that Jesus is communicating to us in those scriptures. But more than that, the study is going to push us to live out those scriptures. To live out those Beatitudes. To seek God's kingdom and God's righteousness in our very own lives. Right here in our very own town. To see God's kingdom begin to come through us. And so there aren't any sign-ups out there this morning, but they'll be there in a couple weeks. So I hope that over the next few weeks, you'll seriously consider signing up for this study. There'll be several different ones with different groups at different times of day and different days of the week so that you have a variety to choose from of what group that you'll participate in. But I hope and I trust that God will continue to push us. That God will continue to make us uncomfortable. That God's Spirit will work among us in such a way that it will stretch us into some unexpected 